Elsewhere podcast. My name is Ian Ditchburn. Really lovely episode waiting for you guys today. Several months in the making with uh, Mr. Jimmy Cohen of Impact Festival and We Make Impact. Now, a lot of people in the party scene in Vancouver might know uh, Jimmy from his music festival, Impact Fest, which I believe was in 2019, with the goal of raising money for all sorts of different charities, True North Water, Black Lives Matter, the Canadian Mental Health Association, and obviously, there's not a ton of music festivals out there that operate on a completely non-profit basis. That really caught my attention when it first went down, and unfortunately I didn't get to go to the show, but last year I checked out their Impact Fest live stream, which was awesome. They raised a lot of money, something like $22,000. Pretty impressive, especially for a live stream in its second year in a pandemic. Jimmy is obviously pretty talented at bringing people together, and how he's been bringing people together lately is with his new project, We Make Impact. Without spoiling too much, basically the whole idea is to install all of these sand water filters in areas experiencing water security issues. They started off in Uganda, and now they've moved up to Kenya. And they do this with technology that requires mostly locally sourced ingredients. It's basically sand, rocks. It's a really cool idea. Jimmy's a great guy. And without further ado, let's dive in. First, though, I'm going to play a little song, which I dug up, listening to some local radio stations in Nairobi. It is some Genje hip-hop artist by the name of Meja with DJ Nefas, and the song is Ulimi Yangu. Basi twende akiva na kazi kabla nitoke okay umeka la crash hiyo top na hiyo mini ah ah kwangu si match ana jam ana jishika kiuno anantolea mwaskuget kila kitu mufanya u appreciate oops ulimi yangu kulikuwa na amani sasa nimeleta tabu Ulimi yangu, unilete ya noma 
ni sato jioni around 3 nilikuwa kwa stage na tegea tuma 3 demali nipita kasmama kando yangu baadaye kidogo niko na wase watatu ah wakasmama kando yake hakuwa nasikia kiba kwa kibeti yake nikawika wezi wezi kidogo akanigeukia mimi akanishika mashati akaniangusha chini iko iko akanipiga mangumi makofi akanikanyangia chini mmoja akanikondolea macho kijana sikwingine ufikirie maneno yako watu walikuwa wanaangalia kuna kitu wanafanya wanacheki na umia mpaka ule dem nilikuwa nasaidia nikawish ningenyamazisha ulimi kai ndio kusaidia tena si mimi eh ulimi yangu uniletea no matunda kwambia eh ulimi yangu uniletea nuksi tu nakwambia eh ulimi yangu uniletea noma kwa kampuni watu walikuwa nanyanyaswa nikasikia kuna mgomo ilikuwa inapangwa na vile mku wa mse wa mdomo nikambiwa umejaa wendo utakuwa spokesman wetu nikombe nikipoteza kazi yangu wakaniambia tutakuwa nyuma yako kidete mpaka mwisho mgomo kuanza nilikuwa mstari wa mbele na maplakas na makelele ungeniona nilikuwa kitu ngumu nikiwika tunataka kietu baadaye wadosi walitimiza ile kitu wafanyikazi walikuwa nataka siku ya pili kwenda kazi mikufika nikachapiwa meja ushafutwa nikwambia si mnafaa kwa nyuma yangu walinilenga kaniacha peke yangu heri ningejua ni nyamazisho limbi wangu eh ulimi yangu uniletea noma All right, on the line with me today, Jimmy Cohen. Uh it's obviously quite late where I am and a, a bit early where you are. So, why don't you let everyone know where you're reaching us from today? Thank you for having me. I'm coming in today with this podcast from Malindi, Kenya, which is on the coast of Kenya. It's essentially the little Italy of Kenya right by the Sabaki River. And uh I'll have in the intro discussed uh, a bit about your your project what you're doing over there but for this 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 first part I think a lot of our listeners have been sort of trapped at home for a really long time so the first thing I want to know is just what is it like being in Africa Oh man uh Africa has been quite the journey uh it definitely has its amazing aspects it also has its unique challenges so I mean I'm kind of in almost like a a paradise location. You know, there's palm trees, there's beaches, but literally just 10 15 minutes from where I am, there's also thousands and thousands of people drinking directly from a river that's known to have one of the highest cases of bilharzia, which is a water-related illness as a result of that. And uh, you know, I speak with these people and and they they smile but a lot of the teeth are are now stained brown because it's it's literally brown water that is being drunk with some a lot of people do simple sand filtration where they dig a little hole and then it kind of goes through the hole which gets rid of the sediments in the water but it it doesn't get rid of the the bacteria and the viruses so that's why we've we've chosen this location because it's a perfect location for bio sand filtration which is one of our main water solutions and uh yeah it's a it's a very interesting place you know people have responded really uh really well to what we're doing here every single person we speak to just you know lights up when we speak about it and and they get really excited about the project we were in Uganda before this which uh was also a really interesting place to to experience but it it has its own unique challenges too you know we actually were through the you know the political turmoil where people were being shot dead in the streets and tear gassed and you know flames as high as the car we drove through and experienced 
all of that. And so that's when we decided to come over here to Kenya. We're like, we anyway planned to come, planned to come here, but that was when we're like, okay, it's time for Kenya. <laughs> well, there's only so much you can do while your own sort of personal safety is in jeopardy there. You know, they say to put the, the mask on first <laughs> before you help yeah. someone else, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we, we, we will eventually go back to Uganda and that has always been the plan, but we've just received so much uh, potential and, um, and great collaborations here that we have to see things through. We really want to set things up so that they're sustainably running here before we go back mm -hmm. to Uganda. Yeah, so I think everyone, uh, it's mostly obviously Western listeners of, of this podcast. And I think in popular culture, we all have this kind of vision of Africa in our, in our heads, in our kind of collective imagination. Um, what, what has defied your expectations about your trip there? Mm, what has defied my expectations? Well, uh, I think I, I could tell one story that uh, was both positive and really scary uh, that I didn't expect. I didn't expect the positive outcomes and, and what could happen, what could save our butts. Uh, but I also did not expect the challenges that we could get into uh, when we came to Uganda. So I remember one time, so we had multiple empowerment centers. We were calling them impact centers, where we were literally training people how to build these biosand filters, how to turn dirty water into clean water using entirely local materials, and also teaching people about entrepreneurship so they can start their own businesses. Um, we were doing, we had these different centers from Kampala to Hoima. Hoima is another city about three and a half hours out of the capital, Kampala. And so we had to travel from one center to the other. And we, we timed it. We had pretty much just enough time to reach there before curfew. Um, so it was 9 p.m. is implemented in Uganda at the time. I believe it still is, whereby everyone has to be at home before 9 p.m. And, uh, you know, we barely slept the night before. We were working really late. And uh, we, we normally had a, a person who would help drive us there and navigate the roads. Um, but that person wasn't available. And we asked an Uber driver if, if he could do this as a side project to drive us there and, and then come back. Back and he agreed to it. Um, and we sort of dozed off in the car as we were going there. And, uh, and then the guy asked me, he's like, Hey, is it, is it this way or this way? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I thought you were supposed to know this, you know, use Google maps. I'm sure you can figure it out. So he goes through and then next thing we know, it's like 8:30, and we're nowhere near where we're supposed to be. We're in this, like this road that is not at all paved has huge potholes going into it. And the car just like is bumping and we woke up and we're like, what is going on? My brother like got really upset. He's like, what are you doing? Like, get off the wheel. Like, let me drive. Right. So he just took over and he was just flooring it down this road, you know, just blah, blah, blah. like, I'm sure we must've damaged the car significantly because he was just going as fast as he possibly could. He's like, I'm not going to miss curfew. We just had to get out of the city and into the next town because in the next town we had uh, sort of started working with the who, person who's now mayor and he's also like a prince of the Bonero kingdom and uh and so we knew we would be fine as long as we could get into the next sort of uh area the next region and so he was going as fast as he could and then we kind of passed this like mini gate that was open we didn't think much of it there was one person sitting down to the left uh it turns out we had just passed through a military checkpoint uh and um we'd gone there we didn't really realize and then before we know it it was like 59 it turned 9 p.m and we we're like damn it like what do we do do we just like camp out here or you know should but we looked at the map and we saw uh that uh that there was a hotel like just f like five less than 10 minutes away so we're like okay screw it let's just go for the hotel 
we can make it. And so we, we were again going pretty fast, but then we reached another checkpoint. But this time it was, you know, there were spikes on the ground. There were about nine people holding out AK-47s pointing at us. And they're like screaming, like, oh, look, oh, no. I was like, oh my God, we got out, right? And I was with uh, our manager. Her name was Joyce. She was kind of leading one of the projects. She was doing really well in Kampala. So we want to take her to Hoima to show the ropes to the other team there. And we all got, we got out and like on our knees, on the floor, hands in the air, right? Um, I was like a little bit scared, but uh, my brother started speaking to the police. And my brother is like someone who could, you know, really be friends with absolutely anyone, pretty much. He can make friends with uh, anyone he meets. And so he was speaking to them. And, uh, and then this lady, Joyce, was sitting next to me and she was like just shaking, right? And so she's shaking and she's a little bit younger than me. And I'm like, hey, Joyce, you know, don't worry about it. Like, Isaac's got this. He's going to be speaking with the cops and or the, with the military. And, uh, you know, everything's going to be fine. And she just looks at me, still shaking. She's like, James, this is Uganda. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, my God. OK, now I'm a little scared. But uh, but my brother starts joking with them. He's like, you mind if I smoke a cigarette? And they're like, that's fine. He was like, just joking with them. They started laughing. And uh, the problem was, you know, not only was it after curfew and we were in a military, you know, area, but we had also, um, we didn't have our, our IDs on us, you know, and, and apparently you're supposed to have your IDs on you at all times, definitely if you're going through a military uh, blockade. And so they're like, look, uh, our boss uh, needs to speak with you and make sure it's all, it's all cool, but, you know, it's after curfew, so he's gone home. So you're gonna have to come with us back to the barracks. So we're like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah, we'll come back to the barracks. And um, and we thought we could, you know, kind of smooth things over. And at this point, my brother had pretty much made friends with these guys. He planned to kind of buy them some dinner, maybe some drinks, and they would just kind of have a, a night of it. And uh, I was happy to just kind of camp out uh, in the area. But um, but my brother did not want to stay there because uh, basically they were saying you'd have to sleep in your car. For me, it was like, you know, it's kind of like you're on a plane, you're reclining chairs, we've been fine. I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, there's a hotel like five, 10 minutes away from here. Like, let us just go there. We'll come back in the morning and speak with your general boss. And, uh, and you know, and so he was kind of trying to persuade his way into that situation. And then they, they call the general boss and they speak with him. And um, they say, oh, you know, these guys, they are complaining. <laughs> But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, wrong choice of words. Like, we're not complaining, right? Because, uh, like, at this point, even though we were on really good terms with those military guys, the general could come in, snap his fingers, and they could, you know, beat the hell out of us or God knows what, right? Um, but it turns out this guy ended up coming out of his house, uh, drives in, and just pulls up in this huge car, this huge burly guy. He's just like, right, like, in the room. <laughs> he goes in there, we're like, oh, geez. Okay, this is going down. So, uh First, he, he speaks with the driver, right? So the driver uh, is in the room and we're just sitting outside and he's just getting yelled at. Um, and we're just like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? And he's like, you should have known better. And the guy's like, I was using Google Maps. <laughs> Google Maps has no idea about these like unpaved back streets. And so uh, we went in there and we're just like, look, you know, we're really sorry. We, you know, we had photos of our IDs on our phones and we're like, I hope this is okay. And he's like, it's not, like, it could easily be Photoshopped. And then, um, but like, we're trying to do water projects, you know, we're trying to help people. Maybe, you know, Brian Caboyo. He's like, yeah, I know Brian Caboyo, obviously. Um, and then he's like, we're like, oh yeah, you know, he's a part of our project. Like, let's call him. Like, please let Brian answer the phone. So we call him. 
and um and he picks up thank goodness we give the phone to the uh the, the chief military guy and i just hear a few words of what he's saying he's like what's the saying very true you know they're good boys right <laughs> and just started backing us and then the guy just completely lit up he's like okay this is fine you can you can go uh, over to hoima we're like really not even just to the to the hotel and, and the guy's like no no you can go all the way to hoima uh, if you have any problems, just just say my name, uh, mention my name, and and you'll be fine. So, yeah, that was uh, unexpected. It exceeded my expectations in 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 both ways, good and bad. Right? It's like you know, bad in the sense that that, that kind of situation can happen, whereby you can have literally there was a guy like lying down on the ground, just like as even once we'd made friends with the people, um, lying down on the ground, literally just aiming at us with it with the AK, and so. Um, and so <laughs> we're like, can this guy chill? You know, that, that was a little intense, but at the same time, because we had been doing good things because we had known this person who was in a, a leadership position in the Bonero kingdom, um, we were able to get out of uh, multiple hairy situations like that. So good, in, good in, in both ways in good and bad expectations <laughs> in both, uh, both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Well, it's really all about who, you know, in, uh, in so many situations in life, um, yeah. But this curfew, was it related to COVID? Yeah. Yeah. It's related to COVID. You know, they actually had taken COVID really seriously and, and still do um, because, uh, you know, it's, it, I think it's something that, that the, the continent has, has faced in, in, in various different forms, you know, various different diseases. And so even compared to like Canada, for example, um, you know, every, every, every uh you know mall or, or supermarket that you go into um every everyone gets their temperature checked even even at my my home this little compound that i'm living in everyone gets their temperature checked consistently um which is something that i didn't see as much when i was living in canada and um and so they, they did take it very very seriously kenya just went through the third wave and um and they they only really had like more intense lockdowns. It was from 10 p.m. Originally, they moved it to eight and they said no one in or out of the capital and even another county like no one can move around. Um, and that did you know, dissipate. You can see the numbers go way down after the third wave after they implemented these measures. But, yeah, they take it pretty seriously. And, you know, it's it's they're pretty intense about it. And I think that's because they don't have as many, you know, hospital beds and, and infrastructure to really take care of this if it were to really explode as it has in other countries. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine over there the prevention is the policy pretty much because of exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah. 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 Regarding Thank that you. whole uh, situation, though, do you have anyone else running security aside from your brother? <laughs> <laughs> running security? I mean, well, actually, funny enough, in this little sort of village that I'm living in, uh, there was called Ascaris, which is literally people walking around with spears. Um, I don't know if it's for show, if that really can can help enforce security but yeah like there's there's like a half dozen people walking around with little spears um and then there's also like a police checkpoint like right outside like five minutes from where i live um which is good and bad it's good because there's a lot of safety it's bad because uh they'll kind of often ask you for chai which is kind of like or soda or like hey it's the weekend like basically there's different ways <laughs> to ask you for money that's pretty common uh here in kenya as well Oh, the police. Yeah, the police. Yep. They, they do tend to ask for tips, I guess. that they're, they're earning like literally minimum wage here in Kenya, which is $5 a day, um, which is very little. It's, it's kind of sad how, how little the police force and 
people working for government are, are making in some areas. And so, so yeah, they're, they're pretty shameless about it. <laughs> I'll just ask you for chai in like every different kind of way that they can. Um, so that's the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, it's important to keep that in mind, when, especially when you have situations where sort of popular uprisings happen. And I think people are very quick to, to judge a lot of like police and military forces in those countries when really a lot of those guys are just people who this was the best job they could get. Yeah. And they're really just out there. And they, a lot of them probably didn't really enjoy much of what they're being forced to do often. Yeah, it can be brutal. So I, I think we, we don't do ourselves any favors by by dehumanizing uh, even the people, you know, with guns, yeah. you know, it's always more complicated than that. And they do have pretty big guns, you know, in Canada, it's like maybe some people have a pistol. Um, whereas here, you know, you literally walk around with these giant guns, like even just outside a bank, there's like a dude with a huge gun, super intimidating. But um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, you said something earlier about how people in the, the area that you're in now are, are, are drinking from this, this river that has all of these uh, like bacteria and stuff in it. I'm, I'm wondering, like, why has, has it always been like that have these people been relocated by outside circumstances which have forced them to to drink from this river has there been pollution into this river making it toxic like what are the kind of causal forces mm. that end up with this situation yeah that's a that's a really great question so it is there are multiple different factors that have affected it over time. I, I'm not an expert in the history of the of the location, but I do know that a lot of uh, a lot of work has been done to try to fix the situation, uh, such as drilling boreholes. Right, so you're drilling drilling deep underground to take the water out. But since we're by the coast, the vast majority of these boreholes over time get contaminated with salt. So it's actually very salty water that people just use for washing. They're not able to drink it. It's not hydrating them. And so initially, the boreholes did fix the problem, which was which was great. And, and traditionally, people were drinking from the from the river. But as it gets more salty, the boreholes, uh, you know, I think some people drilled incorrectly, which also contaminated other ones, unfortunately. Um, and then also, yes, the river has gotten worse over time because there's also a lot of farming in the area. And so a lot of the fertilizers have actually run off into the river and sometimes it turns green, I've been told. And so, it, yeah, I think maybe traditionally people were drinking from the river, but over time it's gotten worse with chemicals. And so, so now... Um, our, our solution, instead of instead of drilling more boreholes, it's actually to filter the water, and that's that's the main thing that we make impact has been focused on. It's how do we filter this water? How do we purify it such that uh, such that people can have safe water to drink? And there are many different solutions for this. We're actually combining biosand filtration, which is uh, mostly local materials, like I said, it's stones, uh, large stones, small stones, and then fine sand, and then what forms on the top of the sand is what's called a bio layer, a biological layer, which is like a living bacteria that actually eats the other bacteria that comes through. And so you have to use the same water source, then the bacteria forms over three, four weeks, and then it's, uh, it literally eats the other bacteria. It's like a good bacteria that forms. But to get rid of the actual chemicals, you need something called a micron filter, which has holes over 100 times smaller than a grain of sand. And so we are also using micron filters 
to get rid of the chemicals in the water. So it is a multi-stage filtration solution that we're building for the people of the Sabaki River. Yeah, and most of the materials used for these filters, are they you know, readily available in East Africa? Or does it involve a lot of reliance on kind of supply chains and getting in these sort of more technical materials? Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the biosand filter is literally like stones and sand you can find everywhere around the world. And so that's why some people like the, even like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have been investing in this. The, the biosand filter was actually invented the year that I was born, 1993. Um, and so that's the beauty of that. But in order to get rid of certain chemicals, yeah, you do need these micron filters, which aren't being produced in the country. So we do have to ship those ones in. Um, but, you know, that's not always necessary for, for the vast majority of swamps and lakes and rivers. You can just build these biosand filters from completely local materials. And, uh, and it's a very sustainable way. Once people know that they can build this themselves then they can go out and build them for their neighbors too and their communities. And so that's what we've been really focused on training. And also by combining that with entrepreneurship training, they can sustainably get more and more people access to water as they go to provide them for different communities. So that's our focus. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing, obviously. And uh, yeah, just before we, we got on the line here, you were saying you, you're dealing with power outages. Uh, right before we started talking, you're, you've got like a bunch of yeah. volunteers you're, you're interviewing and uh, learning Italian. Um, so it just seems like you got quite a lot going on. Could you, do, could you quickly run through what an average day looks like for you over there? if such a thing exists? Yeah, every day is so different. But uh, but yeah, I have been interviewing a lot of different people. I, I made a few TikTok videos. Um, some of which, like, in, they've gotten over a million views just in the past six months, which is very unexpected. Um, and as people wanting to volunteer their time to come over here, people have applied from from Ghana, from Jamaica, from, you know, some, some Western countries, all across the different African countries in Kenya to come through and contribute, which has been really heartwarming to experience. So I'm going through a lot of interviews right now. Um, but yeah, we also have this eight stage filtration process, which can eliminate all the salt in the water. And we're using this kind of like a social enterprise to raise funds to fund these big scale biosend filters for the Sabaki River. So on some days, I'm going out and finding new locations for the next big biosend filter, forming agreements with uh, landowners, trying to find an entrepreneur to run the project, because we really just want to focus on empowering entrepreneurs and, uh, and having other people run these different projects so we can move on to the next one. And so I'm interviewing people, I'm interviewing entrepreneurs, I'm yeah, trying to brush up my Italian so we can make some additional sales and fund these new filters. We, we have a really... Uh, well, actually, I only know of one other organization that has a 100% model, whereby if you, and we're actually taking this to a whole new level. Um, so it, it's a 100% model in the sense that if someone gives us a dollar even, or a shilling or whatever, any amount of money, 100% of that goes directly towards the water project. And the way that we're able to pull that off is twofold. We do have another company that's called Mini Mangoes that generates leads for big companies like SAP and Oracle, some of the biggest companies in the world. And we use the, all the proceeds from that company to fund our administrative, our operational expenses. Um, now, even uh, other charities that, uh, the other one that I know that has a 100% model, they would still count like accounting or, you know, even their living fees in these countries as, uh, you know, as a, as a direct project cost. 
but we're when we're taking it to extreme. So literally, it's like no, if you donate to WeMakeImpact.org, literally hundred percent of it goes towards just like the filtration costs, just the material costs. You know, literally everything else is covered through commerce. And one of those things is uh, is providing reverse osmosis filters on the household level. And so we're basically in Little Italy, and there's a lot of wealthy Italians here. We're selling to the rich and giving to the poor through those sales. So is it just you and your brother, or how big is your 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 team? We've got nearly 300 people involved now um, from all corners of the world. The world they're mostly remote. We've got about 10 people staying in this little village uh, in Melindi, our core team. Uh, but there is, you know, we've got a, We've got a tech team in Nairobi who's actually developing us an app pro bono, which is another thing that blew me away. I had no idea that that was even possible to get inspired developer team, a full stack developer team to build an application that will help us fundraise and also build bridge the gap between donors and donees. So every person that donates to us gets a personalized video update. And that's what we're trying to involve in this uh, in this app to, to bridge that gap. But yeah, no, we've got hundreds of people, nearly 300 now. And some of these people are, you know, top executives of Microsoft and, and SAP and these amazing companies. And they're all volunteering their time to mentor entrepreneurs here on the ground level so that they can grow their own impactful businesses. So over there, what are some of the biggest challenges for people water security wise? Hmm. You know. One challenge is gaining access to the water itself. You know, some, some people have, have spoken about like, there's another chemical called water guard, which doesn't have a very good taste. And it, it costs like 50 bob for three jerry cans, I believe. A jerry can is 20 liters of water. 50 bob is around 50 American cents. And, uh, and some people, like, for example, the school that we went to, the last time we, we did a biosand lesson and, and taught about biosand filtration and then built a, a filter for the school, um, they, they said they, they, they're bringing in river water and sometimes they put the water guard solution and sometimes they can't because of financial reasons, you know, and with COVID, you know, in, in Canada, they're very, very blessed to have so much government support to pay people, um, to, to, to live and to, to have grants and to, to get by this challenging time here. It's, it's the opposite. There is no government support pretty much in terms of any financial support but also the taxes went up. Can you believe that the taxes went up and people aren't getting money? So it's, it's like very much the opposite and people are very much struggling. And, and unfortunately, those necessities can sometimes become something that needs to be omitted um, in terms of getting cleaner water. Um, but another challenge is, is actually getting the water to your house, right? So it's like 200 million hours every single day. I believe just in sub-Saharan Africa, that people, women and children mostly are spending carrying the water back to their homes. And this is something that I first experienced in Cambodia uh, when I was building a school there in grade 11. I learned that kids, some kids weren't even able to go to the school that we were building because it's their job to carry water back to their families. And this was heartbreaking for me to experience there. Um, and so the way that we're tackling that problem, actually, we weren't even thinking about this too much. We're just focusing on the filtration, but an amazing human being called Harmon Gedewal, who's one of our uh, volunteers here. He devised was kind of like a trolley system whereby you can put two jerry cans on this trolley with wheels. He's now on the third version of the prototype that makes it not only so much easier to walk without having to carry this super heavy bucket of water either on your head or, or, or on your back, 
Um, but you can also carry multiple jerry cans at once, making it way more efficient. So you would, you know, you wouldn't have to do multiple trips or you could bring some for your neighbors, saving them time. So that's another huge time saver. So it's really gaining access to the purified water in some shape or form and the financial constraints that go along with that, but also access and how do you make it easy to, to bring to your home without having to dedicate a huge chunk of your day. So when I think about water security issues, one of the one of the first things that come to my mind is the issue of commercialization. Companies like Nestle privatizing water supply in developing countries, mm-hmm. I know particularly in India. Um, is that a big problem in Africa as well? Yeah, well, I mean, there's 500 billion bottles of water. I, I, plastic bottles of water, I believe, are, are wasted on a daily basis, which is just insane. It's, it's a ridiculous number to think about. Um, and so by having a filter, you are overcoming the, the need to constantly buy these bottled water. So there's obviously the environmental impact that is very much an issue here. People are just basically burning their plastic in their backyard. It's not a great recycling system. And so they're also inhaling those toxic fumes on a pretty regular basis as a result of that. And so the plastic and the environment is definitely playing a role. Now, <clears throat> a, a big issue with, with Nestle and even Coca-Cola is, is when you're drilling deep into, when you're, when you're extracting rather insane amounts of water, like just ridiculous volumes of water and you're bottling it up and then shipping it out of the ecosystem, you're making a dry area even worse. You know, you're, you're basically reducing the total amount of water in the ecosystem. And so that is a big problem. I even heard about, you know, protests that are happening in India as a result of the Coca-Cola factory there um, because, because they're just extracting so much water from the ecosystem and, and making it worse. So there's two types of water scarcity, right? There's physical scarcity and there's economic scarcity. You know, you could argue Australia has a lot of physical water scarcity, but since they're a more affluent nation, they don't have as much um, economic scarcity. And so it's not such a, you know, life or death situation, but it's, it's only when you have both of those economic and physical scarcity that it really starts to take its toll on, on the, on the, the human life that, that depends on it. And so by, by making a country more arid, more dry, by bottling it up and shipping it out of the ecosystem, you're making the physical scarcity even worse. And the economic scarcity isn't really getting better, especially with COVID. So yeah, it is a problem in, in multiple ways. Yeah, I imagine Africa, especially, is kind of double jeopardy in that regard because it's it's already quite a, a hot country with large stretches of, of desert, mm. and it has been you know economically exploited by the West for you know hundreds of years. So the, obviously, there's kind of many uh, factors leading into to that problem. Mm. One thing that I'm I'm thinking about: I, Have you heard of the the Great African Shield? The uh, like the uh, the tree planting project they have to stop the uh, desertification of northern Africa. Have you heard much of that before? They're planting like a billion trees. That's very interesting. Have you, have you heard of it before though? Whoa, no, I haven't even heard of that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's like this mass mobilized effort to stop the, I'm not sure what the desert is called, but the big desert in North Africa, it's it's expanding every year. And they've, uh, climate scientists have sort of realized that the only way to really beat it back is to is to, to take the land back literally by planting millions and millions of trees to stop the desert from from basically enveloping way more of the continent. 
Um, so obviously wow. issues like water security and climate change are all kind of related. Um, what what are what's the public perception of climate change in Africa? Do people think about it very much? Is it as big of a sort of doom issue uh, that's on everyone's mind over there? You know, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see a climate change conference happening on television randomly when I was in Uganda. And there were many different African nations that had come together to discuss the issue. Um, I just, I was just, yeah, we, we went in for, for, I think, lunch and there was something on television that was speaking about it. Um, so it, it was really interesting. And, and I've also seen, um, I've seen a few groups here, one of them that's, that's collecting the plastics from the beaches and they're, uh, they're able to give that to different companies that can turn it into other products. So reusing those plastics, which was really interesting, but, uh, it's not as big of a, of a focus of, of the people, you know, I think, uh, in, in Canada, it's, it's a huge thing, especially in Vancouver where people are very conscious of this. Um, but, but it definitely is on people's minds. I think when, when there are you know, immediate challenges affecting your life, uh, it's it's a little bit harder to think long term. Um, but it's definitely something that is on people's minds as well. Well, that that's the thing. It it, it is a, a privilege to be able to even, you know, think about these these large scale issues when you know we already have a roof over our heads we already have the food on mm -hmm. the table so it is a real sort of a, a statement of privilege yeah. to to know that you know we're even in you know any position to pressure our leaders to to, to possibly do something about it and that, that's kind of got me thinking about the, uh, exactly. the government situation over there obviously local governments in africa are known for being quite corrupt yeah. um but it's also it's pretty obvious that for problems so large that the government is going to have to be involved in some way from your have you spent much time working with government officials you know it's something that we are just recently starting to delve into because uh we we met with the uh, minister of water of the whole Kalifi county uh just the other week and the guy was very much interested in, in what we were doing. I had my own preconceived notions of, of what we could do together. I had this idea of basically, I, I formed some partnerships with some microfinancing institutions, some, some banks that could basically do asset financing to people who had been paying their water bills on time. So, you know, even if, even if governments try to purify the water at the source, by the time it does get to people's homes in the taps, it can get contaminated in various different ways. So even in Canada, they're recommending that people try to filter their water on the household level. So by by partnering with the utilities and the microfinancing organizations, we could basically do asset financing so people can gain access to these filters and, and pay it off in small installments over a long period of time. And we would then use all those proceeds to fund people to gain access to water who really need it in the most remote regions of the country. So that was my preconceived notion. And they were, they were like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's, let's do it basically. But, um, but they, they presented a bigger problem, which was, look, we drilled all these boreholes all across the county to fix our water issue, but now they're salty, you know? And so when, when, when we stated, hey, look, we've got some of the best reverse osmosis technology and engineers all around the world working on fixing the salt problem, they're like, okay, we need to do that. So right now <clears throat> we're moving forward a discussion on a county level to uh, to basically filter the the boreholes uh, the, the salt out of the boreholes and uh, and through another connection that same guy Herman uh, Herman uh, Harman rather 
uh, Gerwal is his last name, uh, also connected us to an MCA who has basically brought forth a proposal to the president of, of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta. And so we're doing a pilot project in this county, and then we could do something nationwide, um, which will hopefully help, you know, millions, if not tens of millions of people. So this is a way that, that we really want to scale our impact. And, uh, and just since we're a nonprofit, we reinvest every single shilling and dollar into, into helping the people who really need it most. What are sort of average people's perceptions on, on, on their government, I guess? Do people have much faith in their elected leaders or... It's kind of hit or miss. Like some people do really love the president and the government. Um, you know, they, they definitely like it. It's, I'd say it's hit or miss here as well. Yeah. But, but there's others who, who really don't. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it is hard when there have been so many cases of, uh, of, of corruption in the government, like literally just at, the, at this police checkpoint that I told you about, it's like, this is a corruption free zone you know right by my house and like call this number if you if you experience anything but like still they're like asking me for chai and I, I you know we we don't give people chai like i've I always joked about like sometimes we're gonna rock up with an actual cup of tea and give them their chai <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah you know it's it, it is a it is a tricky thing to navigate and the un does it really well by by knowing people in the government and having them on their team to navigate this and to apply appropriate pressure to still get deals done without having to, you know, delve into any of these corruption, corruption bribes or anything like that. And so that's the approach that we really are trying to go with to make sure that we can help the people because it is such a huge opportunity and, and a huge way to help the people. It's completely neglected because of some bad apples would would be a disservice to all the people who could benefit from these kind of partnerships. But uh, but yeah, we've got to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Yeah. And I understand that that sort of corruption and distrust of police has affected people's perception of COVID. Maybe you could speak to that for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, uh, I went to this little hospital, I should have gone to, so there, there are like, you know, good hospitals that, that cost the lobby you have to travel a little bit further i went to this little hospital and i had I actually got h pylori which is funny enough a water-related illness it could have been from food too or even just like from someone washing a cup from unsafe water and then i drank clean water from the cup you know but i, I got h pylori which is a water-related illness like stomach and immense pain and uh I, I went to the hospital and uh the person who was assessing me and and taking the blood pressure uh wasn't wearing a mask and so I was like, hey, you know, would you mind? It's a clinic. Would you would you wear your mask? And he's like, she kind of like laughed it off. She's like, ah, we don't believe in that here. You know, we think it's just a way for the police to get money out of people, which is really concerning when this is a doctor telling you this. Uh, but but, you know, there, there's a little bit of truth to that in the sense that the police really have been squeezing this as another way to get money out of people. You know, so if. If you don't have a mask anywhere in public, even if you're just, you know, not even indoors, if you're just walking around and you're not wearing your mask, that police can can capture you and, and extract money from you. Um, my brother, for example, just got like handcuffed. He was standing outside, like he literally had a mask like in his hand, but it wasn't on his face. And so they, you know, they, they got some money out of him. And so it's it has been a way for people to unfortunately take advantage of it, even when you're you're not really in a, a situation where you could pass something along, but but of course there there is a lot of, of truth to the pandemic. So you know people need to take that uh, in in a serious way. I think there's only some people that that kind of uh, didn't take it seriously in, in those cases, 
Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of concerning when a doctor said that. Yeah. And just the, the sheer fact that you got a waterborne illness must have uh, really driven home the reason, the reason you're there. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really got to put myself in other people's shoes. You know, I got to experience what it is like on on a on a day to day basis, and 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 I had this. Uh, so when 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 the extreme lockdown kind of came back in Kenya, we we had to do everything virtual, right? We we were having a lot of success going to high schools and teaching biosan and building biosan filters for the high schools and teaching entrepreneurship there. But all the schools closed down, so we had to get creative with it. So we basically made these videos, and we got hundreds of people to apply, and then we started teaching people about biosan filtration online. So we would do virtual calls for the people who had internet access, and then they got certified to teach biosan filtration to then go out to these remote regions and hold their own classes, which was actually a great silver lining because we were able to multiply our efforts in those ways. But we had a little discussion, like, you know, what are the water-related illnesses you've experienced? And like pretty much everyone had had H. pylori at one point, a lot of, like one person's brother, you know, was having a, another water-related illness, forgetting the name of it now, but... Um, uh, but a, a very common illness. This is like a part of a part of life, unfortunately. But um, and unless you have the right medication, unless you can afford the right medication, there's there's a risk of death of some of these some of these illnesses. And so, it's really important that um, that uh, that the right steps are, are taken to prevent those things. Yeah. So we've talked kind of broadly about what some of the big challenges are just in, in terms of water security, but what are, what are some of the biggest challenges for, for your project impact? Mm. Oh man, so many. I mean, you know, to be real, when, when we were starting this thing in Uganda, a huge challenge was people overquoting and and trying to rip off the organization uh it's it's really sad when you know you think about you know like we literally could help twice as many people if people didn't overquote us and try to rip us off but when people are maybe thinking how am i going to feed my family tomorrow they don't really think about that and the good intentions of the organization so i mean this especially when we were originally trying to run this thing from canada and we found some people in uganda to try to build the bias and filters but the quotes were so high and then we experienced these, these different challenges we're just like you know what despite the pandemic Despite all the challenges, we're just going to go to Uganda. <laughs> so we just booked our one-way ticket and we went. And then we went back to some of these stores and we realized it was like a tenth of the price in some cases. And uh, unfortunately, because of because I am Muzungu, as they say, which just means white person, uh, the prices are always higher um, for everything, even if you're you're trying to do something for a good cause. And so now we just we just trust the the local team members. We're like ninety percent Kenyan now in our local team here in Malindi, and so they would always do the negotiations for us and just able to get way better prices. Um, and unfortunately, now we have found people that we really trust to go out and, and get these different materials and and to build these things. And we've also been doing something which is like negotiating at scale. So my brother loves. Uh, He's a bit of a techie, and my brother Isaac, is, he does something called a web scrape, whereby you can extract all the information, all the emails, contact info of a certain kind of business. For example, like a construction company or sand supplier like in the, in the country. And so then by negotiating at scale by email and then going back and forth with like hundreds of different organizations, we were able to get the price dramatically lower. And now this, with this big biosand filter, we literally think we brought the cost to get one person access to water for 30 years down to a dollar. 
you know, and, and other water chargers saying it costs like $40. So it is a dramatic increase. And I don't blame some of those charities. I think a lot of them are just being overquoted, you know, and it's hard to negotiate when you're running a charity from a developed country and, you know, give us a good price. Right. But since we're on the ground, like literally our entire operations team, we're all here. We're able to kind of see through this and really find the best prices to make sure that we can make the most cost-effective water solution currently in existence. Well, that's great that you're working with the locals in that way. And it, it's sad to hear about that kind of, like the, the compounding effects of poverty, where the poverty is so bad that it makes it difficult to uh, facilitate projects to help lift people out of poverty because there's all those issues. Right. You know, it's a, it's a really wicked problem. Mm. Um, but it sounds like you're having a lot of success so far. You know, you're teaching people how to do how to do something that will go on even after you you and your brother leave. So that's that's wonderful. Um, based off the thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Uh, based off the success you've had so far, where does the project go next? So we're literally in the process of building the largest biosand filter in history. Uh, we hope to set that Guinness Book of World Records. And, uh, and we hope someone beats us so we can beat them and just, just keep scaling these projects. We want to build 100 large-scale biosand filters all along the Sabaki River. We are scaling our training team. Uh, we now have a We Make Impact Jamaica, which is really exciting and we're and and liberia is, is the next place that we're they're certifying teachers so we're really going global by empowering people online through these kind of online trainings in terms of the training aspect in terms of the big biosend filtration aspect and uh and once we do these big um sort of potentially government deals or just large-scale uh deals to, to implement these these water solutions we're going to be reinvesting in these impact centers whereby people can gain access to the internet and computers to learn about entrepreneurship from some of the brightest minds in the world so that they can lift themselves out of poverty because it is our mission to co-create a world where everyone has access to clean water and no one is living in extreme poverty and i really believe that empowering entrepreneurs with some of the best knowledge and giving them access to the global economy online is a really great way to accomplish that. And once people are lifted, lifting themselves out of poverty, then they can solve many other problems in the community. Social enterprise, I believe, is so key to solving so many different issues. And so that's what we're empowering people to do now. Are there any other organizations that you, you want to shout out, uh, kind of boots on the ground that you know are out there doing good work? Mm, yeah, I mean, there are many great organizations. I mean, Charity Water was the other one that, that has a 100% model and is also trying to do great things in terms of transparency. Um, who is another great organization? There are, there are so many. I think there are hundreds, if not thousands of, of different charities um, just within Canada, let alone the, the, the globe. And so we do love kind of trying to collaborate with these different charities and provide them uh, you know, different solutions, because we do believe that, that we have, you know, stumbled upon the most cost effective water solution currently in existence. And I'm always trying to collaborate, whether it be with, uh, with, with political leaders or with uh, the smaller charities or with uh, other groups. I mean, there's even, um, it's I am Academy, uh, I'm Academy, I am Academy. This is, this is a group that, uh, that basically, uh, teaches people about you know stock trading and and Bitcoin, all these different things, all these empowering skills, and they've 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 agreed to donate uh, for every single uh, course that they sign up to uh, to fund one of these biosend filters for an entire family, which is which is really awesome. There's another group called 
uh, review biz that uh, basically helps companies get reviews. And with every single review that they get people, they're donating a dollar to, to fund a, a biosand filter. We actually have a ton of companies now and many mangoes, obviously. Uh, they've committed all of their proceeds to, to support us. And so our fundraising cost is zero. You know, there's always a huge chunk of fundraising budget that is unfortunately coming from donations in order to get more uh, donations to come in. But by partnering with companies on a long term basis, you know, they're giving with every single sale that they make and they're going to continue to grow. And We're going to try to support them to grow. And so that's the way that we've been able to fundraise uh, with zero investment and maintain that 100 percent model. So obviously, this project has been about, you know, making big changes out in the world. but how are you different from these experiences? Oh man, um, I've definitely uh, been humbled. I've been, uh, I I've learned a lot about, so my brother and I are kind of polarizing opposites in some ways. Like we're also very much cut from the same cloth, but we're also opposites in the sense that I'm very much, I've, for the past seven years, you know, I've been running entirely volunteer run organizations, whether it be impact festival or, or party wealth or in charity events or selling, um, you know, products that raise money for clean water. And so I've, I've really been focusing on uh, intrinsic motivation. And there are three key pillars of that, which is uh, autonomy, mastery, um, and purpose as well. But, uh, but extrinsic motivation, like accountability. Um, if, if you do this, this, this reward can happen or, or this, uh, you know, punishment could happen. That's where my brother is really kind of intense about accountability. And, and right now we're kind of finding a balance between it. So I've kind of opened my eyes to, to how a high, a highly accountable organization can really function. We've really been delving deep into that so that our team can just boost our efficiency and our productivity. Um, so that's one thing that I've kind of uh, been been growing with over time. Instead of having this sort of um, complete autonomy where everyone can kind of just uh, pick their own projects, now we're kind of finding a balance of that whereby we have a discussion. You know, every night I ask my team, hey, what are you inspired to do tomorrow? And then, you know, they'll say some things. And while they say, great, that sounds perfect. It's aligned with our, with our goals. Or we can suggest something as a bit of a back and forth so that there still is some autonomy, some freedom of approach. But, you know, there's, it's also aligned with exactly what we're trying to do. So I think over time, my brother, the co-founder, and, and my management styles are kind of blending. And, uh, and that's one thing that I've learned. But also just like how to, you know, how to conduct an organization here, how to connect with people. It's, it's a unique culture, right? It's very different to where I grew up in Canada or Japan, Australia. Um, so I'm kind of like getting accustomed to that as well over time. Well, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. It seems like these types of experiences, um, obviously, you're gonna. This is gonna be an ongoing project. So it sounds like you're you and your brother are only gonna get better at it. And you've only been there for what, like a year, right? Less than. Yeah, it's been like six, eight months or so in Uganda wow. and Kenya. Yeah, and already so much yeah. headway. You know, it sounds like yeah. you're, you're. It's blowing up in in all over the world in Jamaica from across the ocean. So, yeah. big ups to you, man! Congratulations for what you're doing, and you know, you're you're coming at it from a, a you know, I don't really have much of a business background, and I, it's not necessarily something that I know a ton about. But it sounds like you and your brother and the people you're working with are are, are coming about it in a really great way. So, big ups to you. Thank uh, you so much. Where can man. people find you? Uh, well, you could find us on TikTok at We Make Impacts. You could go to Instagram at We Make Impact underscore O-R-G or Facebook as well. It's just We Make Impacts. 
Um, and if you ever want to reach out, you know, if anyone wants to be a part of the organization or, um, you know, you could always go to wemakeimpact.org. There's a button there to join us. If you want to become a mentor, a volunteer, it's forward slash join hyphen us. Uh, and you could reach me directly at contact at wemakeimpact.org. Awesome. Thanks, Jimmy. Right on, Ian. Thank you so much for your time and for doing this. You're an amazing podcaster. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Jimmy. You were a great guest, and I hope to have you on again one day when you are doing God knows what, because it really seems like the sky is the limit. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the program today. If you did, you can follow the entire back catalog of Elsewhere. Just search for the Elsewhere podcast wherever you find podcasts. And if you're going that far, why don't you leave us a review, drop us some stars, I really appreciate it. And we have more episodes out on the way. I know in the past I've sort of attempted to stick to some sort of consistent release schedule, but with university and everything going on, it's really just going to be when I have the time, when I'm able to sit down with a guest, especially doing things over Zoom with the pandemic. It's been a little hard, but I still have many more episodes coming out. We got one already recorded, several guests I'm in contact with, and I'm really excited to bring you their stories. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out my my other project, Pylon Radio, or just see what I'm doing, why don't you go to eastvandelsewhere.com or follow the Elsewhere podcast on Facebook. I'm slowly catching up, posting all the back catalog of my radio show episodes. Eventually, we're going to have merch and hats and all sorts of weird shit to put on your bodies. So go check that out. The Elsewhere podcast on Facebook. I think that is all the pluggables I could possibly plug. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, the bigger the roots, the bigger the fruits. If you want to sign it upstream from the sea or an art to swim in Africa, you'd rather listen to Co op Radio because we'd be listening to you. If you want to know where your music has come from or where your politicians have been, Co op Radio has got that information without.